Episode 72, Dave Fullinger. Welcome to Gut Plus Science. Analytics about people. Insights for executives. Truth you can act on. A high-energy, fast-paced, results-oriented exchange featuring employee engagement evangelist and CEO, your host, Nikki Llewellyn. Hey, Gut Plus Science listeners, this episode is going to re-emphasize the importance of real, transparent, authentic, and meaningful connections at work, and how those same traits are core to decision-making and leadership. Dave Fullinger is the president of Jack Laurie Group, and he shares some failures turned learnings in his 20-plus year career with the company. He's in an industry plagued with 400% average turnover or something crazy like that, and they're choosing to be agile and constantly improve and innovate to be different. Good stuff in this one, so take a listen. All right, Dave Fullinger, welcome to Gut Plus Science. I'm impressed by what seems to be a commitment to constant innovation on the people strategy for your business. I know you're passionate about creating an environment for employees at Jack Laurie Group where they can do their best and most purposeful work. So let's talk about your journey to making your people your number one focus for growth. And how about we start with the learnings or I don't know, the failures, if you will, towards leading a people-first organization, what would you tell your younger leader self to think or do differently? I've got plenty of failures, so this will be fun. You know, when I started my career, I thought what leadership was, was direction. And and, uh, that's really management. What I would tell new emerging leaders is that you've got to build a real uh, and, and genuine connection with your people uh, before you can even hope to lead. And so, sure, we have jobs every day where we have to hold people accountable. They have to do their job and, and management is still critical. But I think an art that is is lost sometimes is a genuine connection. And when, uh, when you have a connection with somebody, then you can better understand what motivates them, uh, what they're challenged with, what's going on personally, and then leverage that into more effective leadership. Great. So I'm going to ask you to then dive deep and give us some examples of, let's think of great leaders inside your organization and examples of their interactions with their people, like what they're doing, what they're talking about, how often they interact to build real and meaningful connections with their people. Yeah, we've got, uh, boy, we got several folks, uh, one person in particular here in, in Indianapolis from the get go, you know, without any formal leadership training, uh, he had just always been someone that uh, understood uh, connections with people. And as he escalated through his career here, uh, he continually is, is the most effective leader, has the most engaged employees, and he's the most excited about, about his job. And when I look at what he does, every interaction uh, has some component beyond the basics of the job. Now, I, I'm sure there's times where there's some business crisis we're working through and it's all nuts and bolts and, you know, hey, let's get this solved. But more times than not, he he sort of surrounds his management with conversation. And I'm not talking about standing around the water cooler and talking forever and ever, but he makes some sort of genuine connection and knows more about that person. And it doesn't come from formal meetings or any formal cadence. It just is part of his every day. 
Yeah, that's great. And so, uh, you know, there's some of these people that come to us and they've got this natural relationship ability and just emphasis on on building relationships as just their their inner strength. And then there's others that, you know, they become, they've worked for the company for a while, become a manager, and then we're teaching them how to become leaders. What's your greatest, like, I guess, tip for managers that you're, you're giving a toolbox, if you will, on how to build relationships? Or is it, is it listening skills? Is it um, certain questions that you empower them with? What would you give for maybe the non-naturals? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and it is mostly listening. You know, leadership, uh, uh, when you've got the right people in your organization, a lot of times a leader is just guiding someone to their own solution. So whether it would be actual workshops on how to listen, workshops on how to ask questions. You know, uh, um, too often we're in a hurry and, and it's surprising how often we ask questions and it's just a yes or a no question. And that's the answer you get. And so understanding that. But then we also we use a tool called Amplify uh, to measure engagement. And this tool became really, really powerful when we took it from the exec team and gave access and accountability to all of the frontline managers so they can start to see how their employees' uh, engagement on these different levels measures. And that tool gives them some, some guidance and some ideas on how to connect, or it, at the very least, it opens up a conversation with that supervisor's manager on, okay, so I want to improve in this area. How can I uh, approach that? Because there is no one-size-fits-all with, with humans. You've got this manager who has some natural talents and, and uh, some talents that we're going to have to prop up with learning and toolboxes and, and things like that. Uh, the same applies to every person that reports to that person. And so uh, having a, a gauge, something to measure and reference, and then try things, see how that works. Did it work? Did it not work? And come back and, and try something else. Ultimately, it just takes an openness to accept this as critical and important. If ultimately you don't value and don't want to connect with people, I think it's going to be very, very difficult to be any sort of leader. But if you are open to that and you want it, whether it's natural or whether we have to provide uh, some tools, uh, I, I think that th there's a much higher probability that you'll be successful. Yeah, great. And I love that you mentioned Amplify because they are a sponsor of Gut Plus Science and have been a sponsor since the very beginning. Maybe you could share a story on, you know, how a manager on your team got insight into their direct team from Amplify data and what was that able to do to move the needle forward? One of the divisions in our company is a cleaning services division. So janitorial work, uh, floor care work, and this is by no means glamorous work. It's done at, at, you know, at night, on the weekends, at remote sites. Tough for those employees to have a strong connection with the core of the company. And the market reality is it just doesn't pay a lot. You know, these are uh, $9 an hour jobs. And so the industry is plagued with about a 400% turnover rate. Oh, wow. And yeah, and, and uh, uh, when we first started with Amplify, no surprise, our engagement scores in our cleaning services divisions were the lowest. And, you know, we could have dismissed it as, well, you know, yeah, that's just sort of the uh, uh, the industry. 
But uh, one manager in particular really dug in, wanted to understand the data, wanted to try things. And, and there is no, you know, one quick switch. So this is over the course of two years that, that he's been working on this. But as of our last survey, he has the second highest engagement level of any group in the company. And I think that uh, it has to do with him being curious and, and, and really wanting to improve that engagement. And so now we find that we've got folks where, you know, if the average in the industry is people stay uh, um, 90 days, we're celebrating multi-year anniversaries. And, uh, you know, I can't even tell you how that flows through the organization financially from a training perspective and a uh, onboarding perspective and just all the inefficiencies of uh, high turnover. And the folks are uh, doing better work. You know, engagement isn't all about satisfaction. Typically, if you're engaged, you're you're happy. But it's really about doing uh, your best work and bringing uh, your entire self. And so we're seeing results in that area of the business better than we ever expected. Oh, wow. Cool story. And okay, you talked about, you know, an average tenure of 90 days or 400% turnover. There's so many leaders and companies struggling with all things talent. And I think that's where we've gained traction on this podcast, Gut Plus Science, because people like you come on and, you know, peer mentor, share your stories to help other people. And so there's just, there's so many people that are overwhelmed and like, where do we even start? We're going to dive into, you know, really helping those individuals, but let's start with what not to do. You call it the window dressing stuff. What are some of these things that you see companies doing or you know maybe you've read about but you're like I just really don't feel like that stuff is making an impact. Uh, being completely honest, we did it for years and and when I say window dressing, uh, you know 20 years ago, uh, we needed to create a mission and vision statement because well everyone was doing that. And so, you know, we sat around a table and, and wordsmithed. And in the end, we sort of sat back and said, wow, that sounds awesome. Um, had nothing to do with what we really intended to do. Um, had nothing to do with who we really were. And I think a lot of companies try, you know, take a shot at defining their core values or their purpose or their mission or their vision. And it's not ever anything that it, that they hold themselves accountable to, uh, and it, it's not real. And so, at the very core, when when core values and purpose are are explored uh, effectively, it's amazing how powerful uh, that can be in setting the stage then to to not only lead better but get the right people um, that value that leadership. Yeah, there's a huge difference between having core values written on a wall and living the core values, you know? So can you give an example of since these have really come to life inside your organization, maybe pick a core value or a core component of your mission statement and how do you see that living inside the organization? Yeah, so our core values are live with integrity, work with accountability, communicate with candor and win with teamwork. Um, Candor uh, is particularly tough because it's not just about being honest with somebody, but it's it's also um, coming from a point of not just to give them a dressing down. You know, it, it's not like, hey, I just got to be honest with you and this is really going to hurt. There's always got to be this underlining of, um, and, and I want to share this with you because you're on my team. And uh, I want to share this with you because I want you to be better and I want us to be better. And uh, I think that 
in in business today, there's there's a lot of politicking and and uh, oh, just uh, passive aggressive uh, sort of communication. And and sometimes, you know, when when I'm hearing some of that, I don't even know what what it is that we're trying to accomplish, what it is that's uh, uh, being talked about. And it's become not not a joke. It's it's sort of a you know, a, a point of pride, I think, uh, amongst the leadership team that we've got some of these younger folks in the organization and the way they're helping themselves set up a, a candid conversation is when they start, they say, hey, I, I need to be candid. And it sort of sets the table and both sides are ready for some very specific and truthful conversation. And it's not, you know, fueled with emotion. It's not uh, fueled with any sort of uh, underlying motivation. It's just absolutely open and honest, but it's sort of tough to take that step. And, and it's neat that we've seen our employees start conversations going, you know, not only with peers or not only with their direct reports, but also going up with their manager when they have to have that uh very open and honest communication to get to uh, some sort of progress. Great example. And I just see you illustrating, you know, an organization that embraces feedback. There's, you know, many generations in the workplace now. And, you know, it seems like the younger ones kind of start with, you know, I want feedback and it's just part of their core versus sometimes the older generations don't necessarily see feedback as a positive until they learn that. And not necessarily generationally, just across the board, but it sounds like this candor value has helped across the board in your organization. Everyone embraces feedback as a positive. And then it just sets the tone for authentic conversations, which goes back to real and meaningful conversations. If you're talking about real stuff and real, and you feel comfortable to have those and open the door on things that are harder to talk about, because it's like, that's just how we operate here. Sounds like you're definitely living that. Thanks for sharing. So now let's break down. Like I said, I I really want to tap into, there's a lot of people I talk to that are just very overwhelmed on like even where to start. And I know you've got some you know, core buckets, if you will, important components that you focus on to building a people first organization. Can you break down those areas of focus? Just first of all, share those. I think you said there's three of those. And then I'll ask some questions to go deeper. First and foremost, it starts with uh, having the right people. Second, uh, once you've got the right people being very clear on uh, everyone's roles and accountabilities. And once you've got those two in place, listen and start to let go and be that coach and and leader. So as as I go through the first one, this is where if you come up with four or five core values that sound good and yeah, I mean, for the most part, I think, you know, we would like to be like that, but you don't incorporate it in your hiring. You don't incorporate it in your performance reviews uh, for existing employees. The more of the wrong people you have in your organization, it dilutes uh, the power of your purpose, the power of your core values. It dilutes the very core of your organization. And so before you even get started, you can't have a people first organization without the right people. And I see a lot of managers uh, and, and leaders going for that, you know, foosball table or uh, something gimmicky and, and, um, being people first is not about inclusion. It's not about building an organization where everyone out there could thrive in your environment. It's all about being very clear about who those people are 
and finding those people because someone that doesn't fit doesn't want to be in your organization any more than you want them in your organization. But all too often, I see companies let that exist and it really starts to to tear things down. Yes. Do you have a story that stands out around uh, the hiring process? And, you know, maybe this individual is a great person, but just was not a fit for the culture at Jack Lowry Group? Probably, you know, not in a recent hire, but really dealing with folks already in the organization. So we've always had a, a, a company full of great people, not necessarily aligned people, uh, you know, very high performing folks on the team. And as we went through this exercise, um, probably 18 months ago now, where we really said, hey, we're going to be much more intentional and purposeful about how we grow, where we grow, and, and the role that people play in this, we realized that we have several folks on the team that were high performers, you know, in whatever numbers we were measuring, but really uh, had no... Uh, alignment with the core values or purpose of the company. And so the, the first step with that is always the hardest. And that's um, having that, that candid conversation with that person. You don't uh, tell them to hit the bricks. You know, we have uh, some stories where people, they did have those uh, uh, core values or could align with those core values. It's just they were never, well, we never did a great job as a company in communicating that. But we also have examples where folks have decided, hey, this is probably not the right place because um, they keep bringing up this uh, core values thing and, and it's not going to go away. And, and so uh, th that's healthy for a company. You know, anytime that you really align yourself, you're going to find that, you know, what you've been doing up to that point didn't always work perfectly. But if you want to be great, you've really got to start to uh, draw the line. So the biggest story is probably with our conversations that we had with some existing great people, but had to confront the fact that this is important and we need to know if you can embrace this and if truly this could be, you know, deep down inside one of your core values. And some people make it and some people don't. Thanks for sharing that. And so let's go a little bit further into the second point on uh, role clarity. So that's a key area of engagement. People need to have clarity around their role. And then you talked about accountability. Share more about, you know, the best practices that you're, you know, putting out there or the, you know, the systems that you have in place for clear role expectations and accountability at Jack Lorry Group. Are you familiar with EOS and yeah. traction? Gina Wickman's work. Uh, so we're an EOS company and, and uh, role clarity is a, a tenant of that and being very clear on what those roles are and, and the KPIs that surround that role. And when you have first the right people on board, we've gotten through that hurdle. If in a role you hold people accountable differently, that again is going to dilute this people facing power and you end up with a group of individuals as opposed to a, an organization. And all too often, we develop accountabilities around the people because everyone has different strengths, different weaknesses, you know. And so we say, well, you know, for George, um, we sort of hold him accountable to this. And then uh, Julie, who's in the same role, well, we sort of let that slide here, but we hold her accountable to this. First, it makes it very, very difficult to lead or manage that sort of an organization. Okay, so from a, a 
leadership span of control, you're really going to limit yourself. But it also breaks down some of that teamwork and some of the positive things that accountability can really bring out in a group. When people are being evaluated, you as the leader may look at it and go, well, I mean, I'm just as stringent with this person as this person. I just evaluate them differently. But it causes a ton of confusion in the organization. And it opens up the door for when you need to hold someone accountable, they say, well, but you don't really hold that person accountable for this. And so being very, very clear on designing the role that is needed for your organization, as opposed to the role that an individual is capable of performing, is a, a big step that I think a lot of companies that grow from you know small to medium and, and with any hopes of being large, you go through these growing pains, but it's absolutely critical to be completely clear on that role. And then you can move into coaching. So not everyone's going to be performing at a high level because you're evaluating them differently. Now it's time to coach and and the right people will be able to uh, raise their performance in the areas that you need. Uh, and, And then ultimately you have a very clear group of people all aligned with the same purpose. And and that's where the power comes from. Yeah. And for those not familiar with EOS or the traction model, how do those systems that that the programs bring to the organization, how do they put uniformity for accountability in place? Maybe share how that works. Traction and and EOS um, is, is, you know, at the same time, brilliant and, and incredibly simple. (laughs) <laughs> you know, uh, I think that's the magic of, of Gino Wickman. He, uh, he he took one of the hardest things in the world and, and really broke down and, and simplified things. And, and whether it's looking at uh, goals and objectives and being able to break them down into digestible bites and, and working through systematically or being all clear uh, on a uh, consistent vision, I think at the core of it, is a regular cadence of communication. And that communication can take many forms. At at the most intimate level, it is a manager with their direct report having some sort of regular cadence to meet. And then those meetings need to flow through the same sort of agenda. So when you're talking about that person's role, it needs to model how you're talking about another person's role. And when you when you have that sort of uh, uh, regular cadence and very clear and, and consistent agenda leading to common measurables all aligned with some uh, align you know uh, shared vision, that's how it works. And, and I, I'm not sure if that answers your question, but uh, I recommend that book to anybody, uh, regardless of the size of their organization, uh, because it's really a how-to manual. And uh, it's incredible how simple it is. Now, it doesn't mean easy. It's, it's hard, 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 hard work, but very, very simple principles that I think in the fog of war, you know, we're working every day. A lot of managers and leaders lose sight of and you just start shooting from the hip and, and, and trying to get you through your day where when you can bring this structure in, not only does it allow you as a leader and a manager to be more effective, but it allows those you're leading and managing to be more effective. Yeah, I can't speak more highly about uniform structures and then making, you know, those those simple processes available for everyone and coaching and teaching 
all of us to be using that same platform. I've got a number of clients and friends that just rave about EOS and traction as their foundational system to implementing great people processes. So thanks for sharing that. Um, Let's talk about your third key priority. You talked about how it's important to not only manage, but to lead. And you talked a little bit about coaching. So how are you doing that? How are you equipping leaders to not only manage, but then to become leaders? Yeah. And I will tell you that uh, um, we are by no means great at this because for the better part of 20 years, I think we were a very well-managed organization. And management is all about uh, control and direction, um, and, you know, giving people the resources to, to do their job, but controlling, directing. And the problem with that is that your limitations are built around your span of control. And ultimately, a individual leader, you know, then collectively as an organization can only get so big or or, uh, be so effective because the control gets maximized and and, uh, then you're not providing management or leadership. And a big change that uh, we went through, and, and I will tell you, this is something that we still work on every day. I wish I could tell you we just cracked the code. But first and foremost, learning how to ask questions versus give direction. You know, I was classic at when you would walk into my office and say, hey, we got a problem. It's like, yes, this made my day because now I can tell you how smart I am. And, you know, when I get in the car at the end of the day, I feel like I worth my salt because uh, I solved that problem. Well, the next day you came with the same problem the next day and the next day. So being, uh, you know, if you're very clear on these roles and, and uh, uh, one of your employees is struggling with part of that role, it's key to understand how to listen to that, how to ask questions to oftentimes lead them to see that they actually know the answer. But then when it's truly a developmental issue, make sure you don't just take that monkey on your back. Don't just say, hey, that's that's really a tough one. Let me take that. If they can come up with and own a plan that's going to be 80, 85 percent is anything you think you could have uh, thought up. Let them run with it. You've got to let them own the solutions. And when they do, it's amazing how uh, when you've got the right people and very clear uh, uh, roles. I keep going back to that, but it's so foundational. People in, in general want to succeed. And when you offer up that environment to succeed and you've sort of cleared some of the cobwebs, they will make great decisions and they'll have so much more buy-in to that than if they were just told. So it's, it's really a discipline for our executive team to stop and, and when faced with an issue, first make sure it's something that that person in that role should be solving. And then second, make sure we don't take that monkey on our back and help them work through that so that next time they're more more positioned to do it on their own. How has embracing failure come up in empowering your managers to lead and in other words, you know, helping their people to own, you know, these decisions and and be more self-directed? How has embracing failure come up in that? Yeah, I don't know if it helps that we just all got older. <laughs> We've been together for a long time and and uh uh, I, I think back years and years ago, we we just thought we were really smart. And when you look back at our decisions, um, they probably weren't any better than any one of our employees would have made. Uh, and, and so th- there needs to be this maturity to to realize that uh, 
you don't always have all the answers. Now you've got experience that you can teach from, you can tell stories, you can, you can help them see a, a potential roadblock, but uh, you know, having that awareness that, boy, a lot of times your ideas didn't work out either is the first step in allowing grace for other people to, uh, uh, to make mistakes. A lot of time managers say, well, yeah, but if I let them do it, they're going to screw it up. Well, look in the mirror because I bet the way you got to where you are, you screwed a lot up. I know that's the case for, for me and for our entire executive team. And failure, you never let someone walk into catastrophic failure. But bumps and bruises, uh, it, that's part of, of developing a, a great company. And if your goal is to have an organization that never makes mistakes, that's fine. Plan on being a very small organization that's really not people-facing. It's really about you. Uh, it's really about your decisions. Uh, and I'm sure that can work in a limited capacity somewhere if, if that's really your goal. I think a lot of the listeners on this podcast, or all of them, aren't looking for that. And they're looking truly to build great organizations with and through their people. And a lot of times you need to remind yourself the way you got there uh, was making a lot of those mistakes. You can't be that helicopter parent and, and think that your child's never going to make a mistake because you're never going to really be outside of their uh, uh, sphere of influence. You've got to let go. And what you've got to do is leverage your experience to make sure that they never walk into uh, uh, a firestorm when you could have helped them learn something up front. For sure. I couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, in embracing failure, the key parts there that you talked about is just communicating that failure is a positive thing for us all to grow in order for you to learn. A lot of times you got to take that risk and, you know, learn it on your own. And we're here to support you and, you know, not going to let you walk into a fire, but the, that communicating that we embrace that and that it's okay. The other is leaders who, you know, like you're saying, like just being vulnerable and sharing, like, here's what I did and here's how I failed. Right. No one's no one's here to be perfect and continuing to share that, you know, this illustrating how we've done, you know, failure as well. So really great examples. Let's talk about any other tools that are, I guess, game changers that are proving impact on building a stronger org organization. You talked about Amplify. You talked about EOS. Anything else come to mind that you all are using? You know, in our organization, um, uh, we're a, a service company where we're delivering service, you know, all across the state or uh, country. And so two thirds of our employees really never, we never see each other. And one thing that we realized is we have to build tools uh, to foster effective communication. So those have taken uh, um, the form of once a quarter, we shut down the entire company, bring everyone in to make sure that we're reinforcing the direction, the progress, the challenges we're facing. We recognize uh, uh, the contributions of groups and individuals uh, in front of everyone and really try to build that collective uh, alignment and engagement. But then we've also uh, had to find tools where we can effectively get communication out to hundreds of people who are working at any hour of the day, any day of the week, but they're not in a common office. They don't have email. And so we've had to leverage technologies built around, you know, uh, mobile apps and, and uh, uh, other cellular uh, technologies to get some of that communication out and, and making sure that it's not becoming, you know, almost a spam sort of communication. But we've got open enrollments for benefits coming up. In the past, it would be okay. So 
manager one, two, three, four, five. Make sure you go tell all of your people to be here at this time. And of course, when it's spoken, it's done differently and, and it never seemed to work out where we can send reminders. We can make sure that people um, know exactly where it is. We can have technology to open up um, communication portals. We've got one in particular that we use for our cleaning services division that has really boosted uh, uh, morale and in improved communication uh, all under one platform as opposed to uh, having very inefficient uh, uh, forms of, of communication. Great. I know a number of people, we're all shifting to this remote workforce, right? Communication's always been a challenge, but it's 10x stronger of a challenge today. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. I think over-communicating and over-communicating is just the key. Here's my challenge question for you, Dave. So I was tapping into this overwhelmed leader thing today because I've just had a number of experiences just this week with walking into places and it's just like complete overwhelm and there's just not much focus. And I, I believe strongly that, you know, focusing on the main things, like I asked you to break down your, your key buckets or those top three things for an overwhelmed CEO running an organization, crazy turnover, the list of jobs is massive. What is your best advice for their singular focus? Uh, read the dream manager this weekend. Oh, love that book. Talk about that just a little bit. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a business fable. Uh, so it's a very easy read, but it's a, a true story. So it's it's more of a, a case study. And and for me, it was particularly uh, relevant because it does outline a uh, janitorial services company. But the issues um, translate to any organization with people. And uh, the, the concept is that, uh, you know, whether you earn a minimum wage or a million dollars a year, everyone has dreams. And everyone has uh, challenges to reach those dreams. And it's those dreams that really drive the motivation of what they do on a daily basis. And if you can connect um, what's truly important to your uh, employees with the job that they do, uh, and, and they can make that connection, they, they will stay longer. They will bring more of themselves to work. And a lot of times, employees won't naturally do that. I have my job and, and, you know, I know it pays some bills, but over here is this bucket of what's really important to me, but you don't tell anyone at work about that, you know? And uh, I think that that sort of authentic relationship, we started the conversation here with, uh, you know, examples of uh, a manager that really builds these authentic uh, relationships. I'm not recommending everyone go out and follow that book to the T and hire a dream manager and, and things like that, but read it to take out the real, you know, the real knowledge uh, uh, nuggets there. And, and that is when you know what's important to your people and that will be specific to every single employee. So there is no blanket fix. It's not some novelty or, or a gimmick, but when you know what's really important to them and you can start to put them on a path to realize that and have them make a connection to the role in the company being a vehicle to get to that, you will build such a bond uh, and a loyalty from those folks that they will perform at levels that you never dreamed of. 
I love how the entire episode just came together with how we started and how we're ending here. And I, you know, to take your uh, suggestion on the main focus just a step further, I love the dream manager. And we are consistently hearing that the the number one lever to focus on to drive engagement or keeping people at your organization is the manager. Like people stay or leave because of the manager. And so, you know, if, if the manager is able to take key components out of that book, the dream manager, and, you know, really start to see their people as the whole person and and build those meaningful, real, you know, connections. Yeah. I just, I think that singular focus is, is huge, huge. Thank you so much for sharing. Thanks for your helpful insights. Your mentorship is very much valued. All right, Dave, I got just a couple questions for you as our uh, listeners and I want to get to know you just a little bit better. So uh, my first question is your favorite book. I know you just mentioned one, so maybe we we're duplicating here, but favorite book or one that you'd recommend to our, our listeners today? not only mentioned uh, dream manager, but traction. And so um, definitely those two, but then uh, Lencioni's uh, five dysfunctions of a team. Oh, good. If, if you're a leader and you have a, a team, an exec team, or you're part of a uh, leadership team, there is no way you'll have authentic leadership for your people if you're not authentic with yourself as a team first. Very good. How about a favorite vacation spot for you? Anywhere on the Gulf Coast of Florida, south of uh, Tampa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got a trip planned soon? Uh, we're a big spring break family. So we'll be on uh, uh, Sanibel in, on spring break. Awesome. And how about a favorite hobby when you're not working? I'm a rock star. A rock star? Yeah. Tell us more. I'm in a rock and roll band. We just played tonic ball here in Indianapolis uh, uh, this past weekend. and. So I get to, uh, yeah, um, people laugh, but uh, I get to be in a hardcore punk band. How cool. On the weekends. <laughs> <laughs> and then Dave, how can our listeners connect with you after the show? First, uh, I love connecting. Uh, I think you and I talked uh, previously. I'm a student of, of the people science, both science and people art. Uh, so feel free to reach out. I know all my contact information is on the website. All my, which is jacklorygroup.com. LinkedIn, I'm very easy to find. Facebook, I'm probably easy to find. So email, um, my phone number's up there. Feel free. All right. For Truth You Can Act On, Dave, thanks for your vulnerability and the easy to digest action steps that you left our listeners with. I'm going to summarize a few of these into what we call our Truth You Can Act On, uh, where we'll challenge our listeners to you know, take some of these and start conversations or try something new in their organization. So number one, make building real and meaningful connections with your people, your top priority. Understand what motivates your people, what they're challenged with, and know them personally to support them outside of their work role. Number two, measure employee engagement and share the findings with managers. Empower managers with data that gives them a roadmap to know where to focus on innovating for change. Encourage curiosity as a trait in this process. And number three, hiring right is critical. Hire great people, yes, but make sure they're aligned. It's more than a skill and more than performance. It's really important to make sure that new hires fit the culture and truly align with core values of the company. Hey, thanks again, Dave. And we'll see you guys next week on Gut Plus Science. We just left the world a little bit better. Now go do something with it.